Welcome to Talking Baseball. We have an interview with the director of Long Gone Summer, Sosa, McGuire, Home Runs. Let's do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Talking Baseball. My name's Jimmy. I got Jake with me, who just had a upsetting burp. Was that what that was? Yeah. Okay. Trev's here. BBD's here. We just wrapped up a nice interview with the director of Long Gone Summer. I'm saying that right, right? For some reason, it doesn't flow off the tongue for me. Long, Long Gone, Gone Summer. Summer. I get it. Um, AJ Schnack. And we all watched it. We got to see it. Uh, we'll throw it to it pretty quick, and then we'll come back and we'll do we'll talk about uh, maybe a documentary a little bit more, and also the newest proposal that the union just sent back to the players. But first, Trev, Jake, how are you doing, Trev? What you think about the? What did you think about the? What should they know going into this interview? If you're my age, you know, in your low thirties, maybe into your upper thirties, it's going to bring you back to that time because as I told AJ this was right in the peak of my fandom I remember it very vividly and they did a good job of showing just how outrageously popular these two guys were in the country at the time this was this transcended baseball this these guys were national celebrities to the highest level so I thought that was cool yeah he uh AJ's cool um and yeah, man, it's uh, it's funny because some of the some of the issues now uh, about getting kids into it. I mean, you see, they show some footage of kids in school. Like it's it's like the number one story in the United States. Um, and now there's there's different stuff going on. But uh, yeah, man, it's like like you're saying. I think I was nine or ten, but I was I've always been a sports sicko. So like. They throw on the Sports Center highlights and like they showed a little bit. I think the Red Wings played the Avalanche, and I was like, "Oh yeah, I, I know most of those guys." And then I kind of missed old Sports Center. Um, so, but uh, yeah, AJ's cool, and it's uh, funny that this was kind of his first sports one. And I think like, does he have the sports itch now? Like, is that what he was saying at the end that he had another sports thing lined up? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. Just people had to be in their field, as we said. Uh, Jake, just to put on your point, do kids get wrapped up in pop culture the way it used to, or is the internet and how big everything is? Because, like you said, in this documentary, they go to, like, a classroom, and they ask every kid, who do you think is going to do it, and then are you going to watch, and every kid's totally tuned in. When I was in middle school, season two of American Idol was out, sure. and they split the cafeteria, like, who's voting for Ruben Stuttered? Right. Who's voting for Clay Aiken? And we, like, chanted, Aiken, Aiken, Ruben. Does that happen anymore? I'm not a kid. What so kind know. of schools you go to? I don't know. Yeah. Lake Zurich Middle School South. Yeah. Dude, American Idol was bigger than everything in those first two seasons. It was crazy big. Season one, Kelly, love you, girl. Um, yeah, you I don't know. Justin. I, I still think pop culture can kick in and, and do some things. Probably not as significantly. I think, you know, with the internet and access on your phones, you can access more stuff and there's just always content where this fifth grade, who wants to be a millionaire? We would, like, talk, like, yeah. did you see how long that guy went? Oh, they finally won? Like, I, that was crazy. I wonder if that still happens. Well, okay. Why are you mm. asking Jake? Like, is he... Wow. I know he has the mental capacity of a fifth grader, but he's he's wow. damn near 30. 
Well, Trev, you got kids, but they're not old enough to be wrapped up in anything. And he considers no, you I, an old man. So I'm still kind of cool for my age, so I will say I probably have a better answer than Jake. I think music is kind of that now. Uh, I think about Old Town Road when that came out. Every single person yeah. was singing that song. Um, so it's still there. Maybe have you ever heard our dances. version of that song? Mm. Let's go to the interview. Okay, here we go is the interview. We are joined by the producer of Long Gone Summer coming out on ESPN Sunday at 9. Did I get all that right? AJ Schnack. AJ, how you doing, brother? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing well, man. We, uh, we've been talking about this. We all got the screener. Thank you very much for sending it our way. We feel special. Part of a, like a super special club now. And, uh, I mean, I watched it last night. These guys watched it a couple days ago. And I'm excited for everyone to see this and for it to come out nationwide. Uh, how long has it been in the works? Like, how long has this project been going on? Yeah, I first started talking to ESPN in 2017 about it. Um, started talking to Mark that fall and um, met up with Sammy, like, in the, I think, in June of 2018. So it's took a little while to get every all the pieces together to make it. Um, did a little shooting with Mark in, in 2018, spring training with the Padres, and uh, then fully went in to production uh, last year in, in uh, January. Uh, yeah, and just finishing. So it'll, it'll, be, it'll be still hot uh, when, it, when it lands on, on Sunday night. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned that you just finished because obviously quarantine and corona did all that. Yeah. Push everything back. Was there any interviews that you that you did you have shooting done by the time quarantine hit? Yeah, I mean it was it kind of was timed in an interesting way. We uh, we thought uh, well we were planning to premiere at the Tribeca Film Festival in April in New York, and I uh, I was in Chicago working with Jeff Tweedy on the score, and uh, we heard that South by Southwest was going to cancel, and it kind of became clear in the days after that that Tribeca wasn't going to happen. So we had been working so hard to get the film ready for the festival um, that we were like, oh well, you know. Who knows when it'll screen publicly, but we'll, we'll be on TV later this summer. So we have a little time. We can take a break. It's always nice to step away from a film for a little bit and, you know, get some perspective. Uh, and then ESPN called uh, a couple weeks later and said, you know, look, we're going to move The Last Dance up to April and then we want to show your film in June. So suddenly then we were like on the fast track again, but working in this completely unusual way where I, I don't see anyone. I just stay in this room all the time. <laughs> you it's funny you mentioned jeff tweedy because my very first note as i was watching was oh jeff tweedy awesome uh lead singer of wilco is he a baseball fan how did he get involved this is kind of just my curiosity and then we'll move on to big picture baseball stuff but how sure. jeff tweedy get involved uh it was one of the things i mentioned to espn early on that i wanted to do is to to get jeff to do the score i didn't know jeff but um i grew up in edwardsville illinois which is small main street usa town uh, just outside of st louis uh, Jeff grew up in Belleville, which is the, a larger city, about two towns to the south uh, of Edwardsville. And uh, he's a couple years older than me or a year older than me. Um, big Uncle Tupelo fan, love Wilco, and went to see them all play. And uh, I had heard that he was a baseball fan. Um, obviously, he had that experience I had growing up with the Whitey Ball Cardinals and now lives in Chicago. I know he goes to, to Cubs games. Um, so I was like, well, that's a, you know, if he'll do it, that would be amazing. Um, but I, I, I didn't know if it was possible, but he said, he said yes. And, um, I think his music's 
really some of the best music I've ever heard for a nonfiction film. I'm, I'm so excited for people to hear it. Yeah, it was awesome. It was good. Sweet. What, um, I thought, I thought Trevor was going, um, let's, we'll, we'll go in. Actually, no, I, let's get to tell the people about you a little bit. I mean, you mentioned you're, you're from Illinois and I, I was, we normally, I, I like doing silly introductions, but we're not friends yet. We're about to be fast friends, but you know, I was going through and you've done, uh, to phrase it how I would phrase it, you've done a ton of shit, man. And, <laughs> and not all of it's necessarily baseball or sports related. How, how did this become the project? I mean, I know you you said you're from that area of the country, but give give us some of the story and give us more give us more AJ Schnack, man. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I grew up a Cardinals fan. You know that like all the sports memories I have, the early sports memories are all around the Cardinals. Growing up watching baseball, my dad would say like, "Hey, you know the game's on. Let's just get in the station wagon and and drive around the cornfields of Southern Illinois, listen to Jack Buck and Mike Shannon." <laughs> um, so that was a big big part of growing up. My uh, uh, ton of relatives in Chicago, uh, most of whom were Cubs fans. So that rivalry was something I was kind of baked in. Uh, it was a lot easier to be a Cardinals fan at at that time because the Cubs sucked. Um, but uh, you know having an opportunity to, to dive back into this story was, you know, huge. I, I just spent a, about a decade um, after I did some music films, I did a film about uh, the band, they might be giants. I did a film about Kurt Cobain. Um, but then I did a bunch of films around uh, American electoral politics. Uh, and after uh, the 2016 election, I just was like, okay, no, none of that anymore. <laughs> I want to do, I want to do something very different. So I'd never made a sports film before, even though I've always been a huge sports fan. Um, and you know, we had been talking to ESPN about doing something with them, and uh, you know, started talking about this. I, I kind of was like, well, there must be a, a reason why they haven't done a 30 for 30. Uh, on this subject, it just seems such a natural uh, fit for for that uh, that brand. And um, you know, we just were like, well, let's see if we can get these guys uh, to do it. And and that that began began that process of uh, reaching out to them, talking to them, and uh, getting them to to want to be involved. I, I, this is like right at my wheelhouse. When the summer of '98, I was 12 years old, so it's kind of like the peak of my baseball fandom. I remember driving home from a baseball tournament during that summer and pulling up next to a car and they were honking and two kids in the back seat were holding up a sign that said like 58. You immediately knew what that meant. It was McGuire had just hit 58. We turned the radio on. It's on. Everyone's talking about it. How were you able, because I think you guys did a good job of this in the documentary. How were you able to capture like, for people that weren't alive, because a lot of people who are going to watch this weren't alive during that or too young to remember it, how, how were you able to capture, like, the, I mean, I don't even know what the, the enormity of the moment. Like, it, it like literally. Like a phenomenon that it was. It captured the entire nation. Like, what, what went into capturing that for you in the film? Yeah, that was hugely important to me because I think that that's one of the things that, you know, if you you're right. If you were young or you weren't alive yet, it's like hard to imagine uh, this story was as big as it was. And I think even people who lived through it um, may have forgotten like just like what it was like in the moment. I mean, they'd break into other television shows, you know, like regular entertainment programming. 
to like let you know that they're up to bat. And, uh, you know, I mean, we got a lot of the great footage we got. Um, ABC did a hour long primetime special with Charlie Gibson, like hosting from Cooperstown. You know, Ted Koppel was doing Nightline about it. Um, it, w it went beyond um, sports. It went beyond baseball. It was an American cultural moment. People were talking about these two guys and who was going to break this record. And, um, and, you know, people who didn't care about baseball, maybe they never cared about baseball again, um, but they were interested in this mono versus mono uh, contest. Um, and, and that was something, you know, really, it was really important to me to like, to, to show, um, cause I think you have to kind of get back into that moment and into that summer. Um, and get rid of sort of the haze of the steroid era, which we you know now know is 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 all over the '90s. Um, before you can like you know really start to talk about that story and what that story still means. I I, I I'm going to go back a little bit here because I do remember it, but I was too young to to really understand specifics of it. In the documentary, it, it talks about the media was calling for someone to break this record before the season even started. And that seems to me like crazy. Yeah. Was it just because McGuire hit 58 the year before? Like why was there all of a sudden this media storyline baked in before the season even started? Like what led to that? I think in part, it was certainly that, that both McGuire and Griffey were in the high fifties in 97. You know, the, the fact that they had, had gotten there, um, you know, McGuire's storyline in particular, it was an expansion year. Um, Bush Stadium had been reconfigured a couple of years uh, earlier to make it more friendly to hitters. You know, when I grew up, it was like purposely, you know, built for small ball. Um, you know, it was hard to hit a ball out of Bush Stadium. Um, so I think there were a few reasons why people thought it was that year. But yeah, it, it's almost in the same way that people tuned in on September 8th, 1998, expecting that that was gonna be the night that McGuire was gonna break the record. People thought at the beginning of the season, spring break, even earlier than spring break, like this is the year it's going to happen. Um, which, is, which is why I think in part, you know, like you have to kind of look at, at both of these guys, um, McGuire and Sosa, like, I mean, Sosa didn't have the kind of pressure on him that McGuire had from day one. Um, but that's, you know, the pressure is usually the thing that like makes these, uh, these home run attempts fail because, you know, there's so much expectation. There's so many questions right away. And for McGuire to hit then, you know, a home run in each of his first four games, that just made the, the, the pressure and the conversation, you know, I remember tuning into sports center and I think on, after the fourth game, he hit the uh, fourth home run somebody said something like you know he's on pace for, to hit 162 yeah I mean, it was like people people uh people really expected it to happen yeah i think that part's wild Mar maris back in 1961 had the same thing at the beginning of the season but he only hit 39 the year before but he had the the season was longer and they were brand new teams so the pitching quality was lessened but you know at the beginning of the season it was the same thing, and I thought you got you captured the, the, the interest that grew. What Trevor's talking about really well when you just showed, you know, m the Marlins had zero fans. Yes, but when McGuire came, they sold out every they game. Sold out, and like yeah. that, <clears throat> and also my little brother, who um, wasn't even born yet, he was like blown away a little bit that they had Sosa and McGuire on the scoreboard with the home run totals. Yeah. Those two pieces of information, I think, are just like, okay, this was 
huge. This was crazy. So I thought those were those were really well done. I want to ask about, and you said this, the film kind of shows the feeling at the time, right? Before the steroid era weighed everyone down. Because the Sammy Sosa and the Mark McGuire you see from the old footage, and even like the Maris guys, they're way different than McGuire and Sosa in their interviews because they've been weighed down and almost like it feels touchy. It feels like McGuire still carries the weight of the stress and everything. So when you're approaching these three, the three I'm interested in is obviously Sosa McGuire, but even Roger Maris's son, who I think they weren't excited then. And then after steroids, still not excited. How touchy was it to be like, do you want to, were they open to it? Were they hesitant? Well, you know, I think that was part of spending as much time as possible with them in advance before we brought the cameras in, you know, it was just to, to say like, look, this is what I want to do. This is the film I want to make. Um, I always say as, as a documentary filmmaker, like, you know, you ask someone to make a story about their life. That's a lot to ask. You know, that's a really big ask. Um, especially they don't know you, like neither of these guys know me. They don't know my story. I don't think, I don't know if they've ever seen any of my work. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot, you know, to, to walk in and say like, hey, give me, uh, give me your trust on this. Um, but I, I'll say that, you know, once we got in the room with both of them, um, I felt like they came to play, you know, and McGuire, like he, in 25 minutes, he was telling me stuff. I had done a ton of research. He was telling me stuff I'd never heard before. Um, and I confirmed later talking to like, Larusa and others, you know, like these were stories that they didn't know, you know, that they had never heard. So um, Mark really did come in there just to to say like, okay, this is it. We're gonna we're gonna tell this story. Um, and you know, I was really happy with Sammy. Like, you know, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't just the like the happy guy that you saw in, in 1998. I mean, he was trying to he was taking some ownership over the fact that he didn't just have that one good year or you know four good years. He was the marquee player for the Cubs before 98. Um, he was doing stuff, 30-30 uh, player. He was a top home run hitter in the National League. I think we forget about. Um, so, you know, I, to have him kind of come in there and go like, no, I've got a, I've got a legacy and I'm, I'm going uh, to wrap it hard, I, I thought was great. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, I, it was yeah, I didn't know how the interviews were going to go when I, when I sat down. You know, you hope you've done all the work you need to do. Um, but I was, I was really happy afterwards that, uh, that they were as open and, uh, you know, in, in the conversation as I would want them to be. And I, I think one of the more impactful scenes when you're, when you're going through the timeline and you're starting to see the weight of the world on McGuire and you see Sosa, you know, kind of leaning into it. Sammy's like, I've been waiting for this, you know, and then you, they have that joint press conference and, you know, you just see a different Mark McGuire than you've seen for the past couple months because he's like, there's someone else going through this and <laughs> this guy kind of likes it. Like, <clears throat> it was a little bizarre. I was I was going to ask, was it on your – I, I haven't made a documentary. Was it – Yet. On, yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> was it on your dream – did you want to get them – in the same room together to kind of see if they could do that or, and what, what else was kind of on your dream board when you started this, that maybe you were trying to do that couldn't come together. Cause I, I don't know what that, when that scene came on and those two guys are in the same room, you're just like, you felt good for Big Mac for like the first time in it. Cause he, he looked relieved. 
Yeah, well, when we started um, talking about this, it was 2017 and the home run chase uh, 20th anniversary was going to be coming up, you know, the next year. So um, I thought, well, maybe there's going to be an, a, some place where these two guys are together, you know, like that there's a reason for them to um, be in the same room. I kind of didn't want to do it myself. Um, so I, I, every time I thought about how I would do it, it just felt really stagey in my head. Um, so I, I, I thought like, well, if it happens for some other reason, and then we get like the other footage, like if they do an interview, but we're getting the footage of them getting mic'd up and re like seeing each other for the first time, that would all be great. But that, you know, it just, that never happened. Um, and so then it was just, I kind of felt like uh, I wanted to hear them each individually to see if their perspectives were the same. Uh, you know, if, if they had a, you know, different memories, different experiences. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that one of the interesting things is so many people talk about that, that, that they felt like that McGuire's whole demeanor changed, you know, when he and Sammy were together and he would see like Sammy having like the time of his life, um, basically. But I think also you have to remember that for Mark, he always really set, you know, 50 home runs by September 1st. Like, I'm not gonna even deal with this until we get to that point. Uh, and by the time, you know, he and, and Sammy are uh, playing in, in Chicago, you know, they're right there, they're at 47, you know, they're almost there. And then by the time, you know, they're back together in St. Louis, you know, it's, it's clear that this is gonna happen. It may not happen during this series, but, um, you know, Mark's at 60 and, you know, he's, he's gonna get there. And so I think that that, was made it a little bit lighter for him for a moment because he he really felt like he was gonna gonna set this record. Um, of course, then it like picks up to a different thing because he doesn't know if he's gonna have the record at the end of the season. And uh, I when he you know he talked about that you know in, in terms of just the realization of like oh wait this isn't over. Like you know if if it would have been an, if no one's chasing him, he might have taken a bunch of days off you know or just played like just come in to hit and it would be a pinch hitter. Um, to, to like rest, they weren't going to the playoffs, you know, like it had been a hard season. Um, but he had to keep going and not just for the fans, but you know, like if he wanted that, that record at the end of the season, uh, he had to keep playing. That was one of I my think... favorite parts of the whole chase was at the end when Sammy finally went ahead of him. And here's Mark saying, I just put everything, my heart and soul into this. Yeah. I broke the record, but so did this they other had a guy. ceremony and I got a. He's like, I can't be a, a footnote. I got to be the guy, yeah. you know, and uh, that was to see him like come back and then just go on a tear. Like, you know, like putting I'm trying to put myself in his shoes in that moment. You break a record, well, then all of a sudden you have that realization. I got it. Like you said, I got to keep going. And then he does. And then he tries to sit out the last game and the Roos is like, uh, no. And then he hits two more. Like, what a feeling that must have been just like. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, I mean, some Only of my favorite, knows. some of my favorite footage in the film is uh, is Mark realizing that uh, Sammy has gone ahead of him on that Friday night uh, yeah. last last weekend of the. I've, I'd never season. seen that. Yeah, I'd never seen that shot before, and it was incredible because you can see him do like a triple take. Yeah. What? What? And then uh, go. He just bends down. And he goes. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Got to keep going. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I never seen that shot. It was awesome. I've been, I've been known as a, uh, I've, I've called myself. I am a self-proclaimed baseball snob. Love the best highlights. Love all the best players. 
that's who I am as a baseball fan. So when I look back at uh, the record-breaking home run, all I want is for that to be home run number 43. I wanted a majestic homer yeah. to break it so we could see him trot around the bases. I mean, he missed first base, which is an iconic shot. Like, It's really a, I, I really a steroid a single. I'm just, just saying I wish it would have been a moonshot. And I think he well, says the same thing. He's yeah, like, no, he it wishes was my it shortest was, homer. Oh, yeah, no, he wishes it was like an upper decker. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean <laughs> – who knows what would have happened to the ball, but uh, yeah, he definitely wishes. That's true. He definitely wishes that it had been like one of the <laughs> one of those like crazy, crazy shots of his. Yeah, because ninety percent of them were that. Yeah, the moonshot, no doubters, and then here he is trying to leg out a double and missing first. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, there's very few of his home runs that are just over the wall. You know. I mean, there's it's. You know, even even in uh, in Bush Stadium, like you know, the hit hitting in the into the upper deck in the outfield is is uh, insane. Uh, yes, truly. What's um? I, I want to talk about Sammy a little bit because it's kind of funny that, like, he is a part of the story and he is. I mean, it's it's kind of the whole it's the whole part of this. Like, right? it was on Big Mac the whole time. I I wonder, like, when you're talking to Sammy and he gives off the positive vibes, like you're saying. I mean, and he wins the MVP that season, and I think that that's got to be a funny moment for a lot of people that don't really know the story. <laughs> Wait, you know, the Cubs going to the playoffs, which, like you mentioned, being a Cubs fan or Cubs fans at that time, you know, they're not the Cubs team that won the championship a few years ago. Like the Cubs were curse of the Billy Goat and all that. Um, do you think there's a world where Sammy? It's almost what's the rising tides raises Lift all ships or ships, thing. Yeah. Like, do you think Sammy thinks that doing it that year with Big Mac kind of made it bigger, or do you think there's a world where Sammy kind of wishes he was alone and uh, maybe he doesn't break Big Mac seventy like they're separate entities? But it would have been like Sammy Sosa. A lot of years would have had his own season, like Sammy Sosa alone, and he kind of didn't get that. But I, I don't know his vibe. I think, you know, the, the fact of how he broke into that race, I mean, the 20 home runs in June is still a record, not you know, <laughs> will be a record for a while. Well, maybe not. I don't know. The ball's flying out. Um, but, you know, I, I think that for him, I never got the impression that he didn't have anything but just real joy over the fact that he got to do it with Mark, that like he just thought that that was one of the things that made it great. Um, you know, I think he, uh, certainly wants people to remember that it wasn't just that year. Um, you know, I mean, he's the only guy who's, uh, you know, hit 60, uh, or more three times. Um, you know, so I think he would, he would like people to, to see the, the totality of his career, but I think part of the real joy for him about 98 was the fact that they were in it together. And, you know, in the film, it's, you know, I always described it, I described it to Sammy, you know, I was like. I kind of want people to forget that you're part of the story and to <laughs> really introduce you in June, because then you're just like best supporting actor. Like here you come um, and uh, you come in like a house of fire, which is how it happened at the time. Nobody's thinking about you being part of this race. It's going to be junior. So to have him come in and, and do what he did in June and suddenly be like, no, nah, I'm part of this race too. Um, th that to me was kind of the, the plan all along. Um, so uh 
yeah, I mean, it's his, his story and him being part of the story is part of what makes it great. If it's, if it's McGuire and Junior like battling, Mariners aren't coming to Bush Stadium in September. You know, I mean, we don't have right. those moments. Um, and certainly the narrative arc of the Cubs in 98 is a better narrative than the, the Cardinals. I mean, you know, to, to start to come out of the, the, the 97 season, which started so horribly, uh, to have Harry Carey die, to have Carey Wood have a 20 strikeout game. Uh, and then they go to the playoffs. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's, a, it's a great storyline. I, I think that, and like you said, you want people to forget about Sammy and remember him. You kind of just described me because I knew Sammy was part of it. I know that, you know, the, the Congress hearings and the steroid stuff, and he'd fallen out of favor. I think everyone who watches this documentary is going to re-fall in love with Sammy Sosa and remember how vibrant and like his opening line in the documentary kind of is like, I'm more charismatic than McGuire. And I kind of <laughs> laughed at it. And then the next scenes play out and you're like, Oh, you're definitely more charismatic. Oh like gosh, yes. he was a ball of fun. And now he wants the, you know, the Cubs to be back in good graces. I mean, I think that this movie is going to, to put in a third stage of Sammy's career and and relationship with the Cubs I think you're going to introduce a lot of younger fans who like that kind of player who like the vibrant showy fun laughing player oh, he'd kill will fall right in love now. with Sammy he'd Sosa he's a star right now yeah mm-hmm. yeah and I think people you know we touch on it a little bit I think people have forgotten you know especially coming out of the last dance after Jordan left Chicago you know Sammy was it I mean like Sammy was the hugest thing going. I mean, there's a photo of, of Sammy and Jordan in, in the film. Um, what you don't see is that Jordan's wearing a Sammy jersey. Um, you know, I mean, this is awesome. this this was huge uh, in Chicago. Sammy was the biggest thing going. He he was um, he was the marquee player for the team before '98, but after '98, he was uh, you know a, a a nuclear explosion of, you know, publicity and, and fan attraction. So, um, yeah, I agree. I hope that, you know, I think it's, it's odd um, that Sammy's uh, um, relationship with the Cubs is what it is. And uh, it seems like it doesn't have to be that way. People are making it more complicated than it is. Um, and hopefully, hopefully that'll change. Uh, a behind-the-scenes question real quick. Sure. Are, were you doing the interviewing, or was it? A, did you have multiple team members? When With Sammy Sosa, whose voice is it we hear that asks the question? That's questions? me, yeah. I did all the interviews. Yeah. Okay, so when you ask the question, we don't have to talk about the answer or anything. Everyone can go watch it and find out. But when you asked Sammy about steroids, was that like uh, – like in your head, I'm thinking if that was me, I'd be like, okay, like gear, like hyping myself, got to do it, got to do it, just get it out there. Or was that easy? Because it is like a moment. Well, we, you know, we were, we were kind of, there was a path of the questioning that was taking us there. You know, I could see that he was getting, I mean, you can see it in the film. He's a little bit more tense. Like he knows mm-hmm. what I'm asking him and, um, you know, he's, he's ready um, to, to give his answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you know, I mean, it's, you're asking someone like about the stuff that is not that fun to talk about. Um, same with, mm-hmm. same with Mark. Um, but, you know, we, I told them both in advance, we were going to do it, you know, that, I, you know, it was part of the story, even though the bulk of the film was going to be getting viewers back into that season. Um, and, uh, 
yeah, I wouldn't say it was, it wasn't the most fun part. I'm not one of those filmmakers who like goes like, ah, I can't wait to get this guy in and 60 minutes him and just like, you know, just make him look like an idiot. Um, so yeah, to like, you know, deal with all those things aren't the most fun parts of the interview for me and probably for them. But I, I appreciated the fact that they both wanted to talk honestly about it. Yeah. So obviously steroids are part of the documentary. We'll let people watch. Um, so something that wasn't touched a ton on was Hall of Fame case. And that's directly linked, obviously, to steroid usage. So I want to bring the tone of the show down because that's what I do. I got to <laughs> ask the grim question of you. Do you believe Sammy, who has over 600 home runs, clearly a case for the Hall of Fame, Mark McGuire, case for the Hall of Fame, do you believe they should be inducted into the National Baseball Hall of Fame? Yes, I do. And I think Bond should as well. Um, I think that we need to look at the players in the era that they played and how they played against other players. We have no idea how many people were using steroids. We don't know who was, who wasn't. Um, baseball uh, had not done the job of, of telling people what the rules were, and they weren't enforcing them, even if they had told them. Um, so you know, if you want to say like, you know, th th there's an era, you know, where we're going to designate like that these people are from a specific era in time, I guess, whatever, fine. You, you want to do that with amphetamines and greenies? Do you want to do that with like not letting uh, players of other races participate? Do you want to do it with, with the ball being tighter so that the balls fly farther? Um, there's always something. There's always a reason to like put an asterisk or a, a notation. Um, but yeah, Sammy obviously has the numbers. Uh, it's, it's pretty clear. Uh, I think Mark, for, for what he did for the game, um, he had a lot of injuries. So, you know, I think it, just from a numbers case uh, over the course of his career, it, it might be a, a, a tougher call in terms of that. But clearly in terms of what he did for the game, um, it, it, I, I, don't, I don't think it's kind of a no-brainer. And I think that, you know, that it's it, it's – I think it's a little, uh, I don't know what the exact word is. It's not hypocritical, but I, I just, you know, it, to pretend that we all had like the, the hindsight or the foresight at the time to know what was going on. And or now that we know, like, we're going to like, you know, judge it in a completely different way. And that was one of the reasons why I wanted to get back and like show what that season was like, because, you know, it's, yeah. it's like, it, it was, a, it was bigger than baseball. It was something that just took everyone by storm. And uh, I think we have to acknowledge that even if these guys, you know, I guess, so says a couple years left of eligibility, you know, Mark would have to get in through the veterans committee, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, yeah, they should be. In. You, you've really, you softened my position <laughs> on that. I, you really have because I am known as one of the cleanest players in the game. So I have a hard line against steroid use. But when you go back and kind of the way you guys framed it in the movie was this was obviously a rampant thing in the in that era. And it wasn't like a lot of these guys were sneaking around doing anything. They were just kind of taking stuff. And I think like in my career, I'm like, dude, like there's obviously supplements that are team given. Like what if one day we just decide that whatever I took – which was completely fine at the time, even given to me by a team. What if we just happened to decide that was considered a performance enhancing drug? Like, what would I think about that? It is what happens to them. So, like, me going back and watching this, I'm like, dude, like, 
cut these guys a break. You know, like the guys now that are getting caught don't have that much sympathy for you. There's clear-cut rules about what you can and can't do now. There wasn't that. It was rampant throughout the league. And really, like I said, you really softened my position on it. Well, you know, I was uh, a couple of weeks ago, I live in Los Angeles. I was driving around Griffith Park, our big city park, and, and uh, there are all these signs up, you know, these huge traffic signs saying, you know, masks required, um, you know, face coverings mandatory. And, you know, you drive along and there's like, I don't know, 30, 40% of the people aren't wearing masks. And there's like park rangers and cops like looking at them. Nobody's doing anything. And I'm like, that was baseball steroid policy. <laughs> Minus the fact that there was no big traffic sign. Um, yeah, not even the you know, sign. No sign. Um, so, you know, if they weren't testing. There were no penalties. The only thing that existed was a memo um, from the commissioner that that one was sort of re-opted, like toothless memo, um, you know, which I think a lot of players didn't even know existed. And that, one no, of the reasons why- Memos don't we, mean anything. Yeah, and the, one of the things we wanted to like spend time on in, in, in the film you mentioned all the supplements, you know, I mean, like people were taking a lot of stuff, you know, and, and it was not something that anyone was, was ashamed of, you know, it was like, it's a hard season. You're getting through, you're going to do whatever you can to stay healthy, to like make it through to the end. Um, and, and I think that people have for, sort of forgotten that, uh, that that was just part of what the game was in the nineties and that nobody was trying to enforce anything. Yeah. And I think it's really good that you say, like, you wanted to view it for the lens. Like, Shelby Foote, a great historian, he always says history should be told from the perspective of the time and not just pass judgment from now and retell it in the way that we think about it now. It's like you have to talk about this as it was being talked about at the time. And I think that's what you guys did a good job and clearly was your goal is the hysteria and the craziness and, like, the fact that these dudes were playing in the same series against each other and in one game Sosa goes ahead and then Maguire ties him and then Maguire goes ahead. Like, anyone who bought a ticket to that game, I mean, got 10 times what they paid in in value of entertainment. Like, just an amazing error for baseball and a great summer. So, I think it's I think it was – it's a crazy, crazy story. Like, yeah. almost you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, I mean, the magical things that happen, the coincidences, I mean, Mark specifically talks about 61st home run on his dad's 61st birthday. Yeah. You know, he hits the his record-breaking home run in the same inning that Maris hit his. Um, you know, there's a few other things like that, uh, Cubs being in, in Bush Stadium. Uh, uh, it's like it was, it was almost written to be the story that it was. Yeah. Mm. And I, I think when you mention when Trevor's talking about the steroid stuff, he's just trying to get across the fact that it makes Derek Jeter's numbers that much more impressive. But we can circle back on that another time. He's he's a big Derek Jeter guy. Um, I, I want to ask you, what was the most fun for you? And I know that's a loaded question. And I mean, I'll I'll be honest. I mean, ninety five percent you, five percent missing baseball. There's a bunch of moments I just got chills. I mean, the Jack Buck moment is. I mean, if you're a baseball hardcore person, that that hits you, uh, the 61 on 61. But even, like, I was just laughing in my head a second ago, the Steve Traxel interview was cracking me up because he's got that kind of hardo pitcher's edge up. And it's Man like, dude, I got bad news for you, bro. This ain't about you. Um, so I don't know. What what was just the most fun uh, about all this for you? I mean, you mentioned Traxel, and I and I just I actually was just talking to somebody about the the fact of him having to stand on the mound for like 10, 15 minutes <laughs> yeah. just watching the celebration. The bad time. 
So painful. Um, <laughs> Traxel was yeah. rooting for Sosa to win it. Uh, you know, the season and so much more after that. Because I, I, I was blown away that they did that much for the 60-second home run, and then two weeks later, Sammy Sosa has the lead, and there was no fanfare. And imagine if Sammy Sosa won, and then, like, that whole charade would be so embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I think that, that in terms of, the, the physical putting the film together, like that part of, of actually, uh, my, my editor who I'd worked with last year, he went on a paternity leave in uh, January. And I, I so I, I cut together the, uh, like the lead up to, to 61, you know, that Miami series where he hits two one night to the next night, um, going into hitting 60, 61, 62, um, and working with Jeff's music and the archive and, Jack Buck's voice, um, and and knowing that we had all of the players in the film, we had Traxel, we had Larusa, we had Matt McGuire, we had uh, Roger Maris Jr. You know, had Chip Carey. You know, we had Mike Shannon. We had all the all the people who were there and who it meant a lot to. Putting that together um, was a really big uh, big thrill. But I think in terms of you know making the film itself. Um, I had a, I, I just want to shout out, my creative team was, was so great. And, uh, you know, my, uh, my DP, Kamal Bilal, and, and Adam Ben, our cinematographer, and Joel Hernandez, our sound guy, and, and Will Lennon, uh, producer who was traveling with me on the road. We just had the best time. I mean, like, we went to baseball games. Uh, you know, we were going city to city to get all of our interviews and uh, never laughed so hard with a, a crew before. Um, it was just, it was a, such a joy to make it even more so now looking back, um, when we're not able to be in, in these spaces together to know that we had that experience. Um, the making of the film was, was such a joy. And I hope that some of that comes through in terms of when people watch it on Sunday. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And before we let you go, do you have the next project in the works? Are you can ready? I, can, uh... I, can I pitch you? Can I pitch him? <laughs> sure. Oh, I was boy. just going to say, can I pitch your next oh, project? Boy. I have sure. something awesome. It's a story of, of a decidedly average big leaguer oh, no. named Trevor Plouffe who finds himself post-career doing a dumb podcast with two <laughs> essentially village idiots. Pretty good story. <laughs> I yeah. like it. If you ask yeah, me. Good story. We have the um, rights to it, though, Trev. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, no, we were about to, to try to get started on something, and then uh, this the pandemic just kind of made it all like put on indefinite hold because the, the story was sort of, uh, contingent on the the subjects being out in the world and, and doing stuff. So, um, uh, you know, I, I, I will, hopefully that'll be in the fall, that'll be a, a place we can get back to again. But for now, I mean, this has been, this has been night and day uh, all the time, <laughs> just trying to get the film finished. And uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to finally be at this point. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you very Congrats. much for joining us, man. Uh, we enjoyed yeah, watching it, and uh, hopefully everyone uh, gets a kick out of yeah, it. I'm sure everyone that does will. Yeah, cool. Great, great to see you guys. Thanks. All right, thanks, man. Later. Thanks, brother. And there you have it. Long gone summer. Go watch it Sunday night, Jake. Sunday night. Sunday night. Everyone, go check it out. Trev, did he really change your mind on the steroid guys? He did. You guys know how I feel. You know. Um, I don't like it in the game. I don't, you know, I just, it did because it really made me see just how rampant it was. And I've heard that obviously, but to put it right in front of my face, 
And really, I, like I said, these guys just weren't doing anything secretive at all. And it just it was. Put, I, I put myself in their shoes, and I'm like, holy crap! Like maybe I need to soften my stance. It was in their locker. Yes. He was asked about it in the middle of the home run chase and said, yeah, I'm doing Andrew, sure, whatever yeah, it's like, called. Of course, yeah. I mean, so like for MLB to not change the rules or put a stop to it, they couldn't – they could have after that season, but then it would have really made it look – so I'm with you, but like A-Rod, uh, these guys like – Later on, when there was firm rules and they were yes going hard against them, that's different. But yeah, it kind of changed my mind because it was known. No one cared. They cared for like a week. It's nuts. Sammy's got the corked back too, which is kind <laughs> yeah. of a weird thing. Um, you know, maybe that was an accident. <laughs> maybe it wasn't. Um, but yeah, no, it's awesome to just go back to that time period when a there was any sports. B how impactful it was and how day-to-day it was and how, how it really ran things. Um, miss it, man. Miss it, man. And I, a couple things I wanted to – one thing I want to ask is, A, if the balls ever came up, and maybe we'll have to reach out to Dr. Meredith Wills because, Trevor, like you hinted at, you know, they were hyping this home run thing before the season and coming off the strike and wonder if baseball put a little extra in the balls. I don't know. Um, and the other thing that I, I drove home to the John Boy Media kids today, Big Baby David and, and Luke, um, and you guys mentioned this, like, McGuire doesn't have much of a personality. <laughs> He's a ball player. That was actually my biggest takeaway, is that McGuire is a dud personality-wise. But I, I think there's just a weird dynamic that, like, Big Mac wanted to be a pitcher. He went to USC to be a pitcher. He hit home runs, so they made him a home run hitter. And then they interviewed him later, and he's like, I don't know. I think I was put on this earth to, like, hit home runs. And he's the hitting coach or a hitting instructor for the Padres. And, Trev, I looked up his baseball reference. Big Mac in his playing days, he made 70-plus mil. And to be a hitting coach and do the 250-day grind – I mean, you got to be a baseball sicko, and that's, like, who Big Mac is. <laughs> they opened up his, like, story, and he was like, yeah, I got divorced in 89. <laughs> anyone that wasn't – anyone that was going to get in my way of just being a baseball player, I couldn't have time for it. It's like, Jesus, dude. Baseball player. <laughs> you, yeah, you but know, not I, – I, it was not in an endearing sense. There's guys out there that, like, DJ LeMay, like, just no personality but just plays baseball. I would – I was not endeared to McGuire from this doc. I came away kind of – thinking less of him i think um jake that Trevor? he is a diehard baseball guy obviously so a, a hitting coach is one of the most thankless jobs you can have in the game of baseball so yeah like you said to make all the money that he's made and then to go back and do it clearly he has a love for the game and i want to counter you jim i don't think he was a dud like, if you go back, I mean, the Bash Brothers, that's not a dud. Like, Mark rocking, like, his, like, local surf shop hat, sleeveless shirt post-game. Like, the guy was cool, but he has been beat down, Jim. Like, the steroid thing, well, but yeah, yeah. you can tell, has killed him. But even his interviews so now, back in 98, maybe, but maybe he was getting beat down then, too. And maybe when he's not on camera, he's totally fine. But just whatever yeah. that in-camera and in interviews, every answer was like, I can't wait to go to heaven to see Roger Maris and Babe Ruth. And, like, Sammy Sosa even kind of mocks him, like, right away. Like, shut up, dude. It ain't that serious. 
And that's, that was kind of the whole vibe of the whole video. McGuire was like wound tight as fuck. And Sammy Sosa was just laughing. I love Sammy Sosa now. I think they did a good job showing like the pressure really was on Mark. Yeah. That year. And And it showed, man. Like I kind of like, I think now like what kind of person would Mark McGuire be in the game of baseball if he didn't break the record? Like if he just, and didn't get accused of steroids, like he'd, He'd be he'd be next to Frank Thomas on whatever network they're on. I don't know whatever they're doing. I think he'd be one of those guys. He'd be involved in the game in some fashion. But because of all this stuff that he's had to deal with, self-imposed, obviously, but it's beat him down. You can just tell it wears on him. Did you like his attack on launch angle? It's I just he I don't know, man. I don't know what he was trying to say on it because, again, like launch angle is not a thing. It's like it's been a thing forever. It's just what angle the ball comes off your bat. Like it's not that like was a very weird quote. He, he basically yeah. ends it by saying, yeah, I took the steroids, but I could hit home runs no matter what. And I didn't even need launch angle. But it's dude, you needed the steroids. It's like it's it such a weird backwards brain to quote. It's I don't. That's like my pet peeve about older guys talking about baseball and not trying to dive in and stay current with what's going on. I mean, it's not a big deal to talk about launch angle. Guys are afraid of that word. They're afraid of spin rate and it's stupid. It's just a way to describe something that happens on the field. So I don't get me started on that whole thing. Like that, okay. that makes me upset, but yeah, like Trev, if he, no. let me say this, if he did, wasn't teaching that stuff with the Padres, then he was probably axed quick because <laughs> of it. No, no, what those, and we'll, we'll start spinning this. A little more positivo. Know what both those guys had, Trev, that I know you love, and you know it's the sign of a true power hitter. That oppo juice, baby. Oof. Oh, my God. I mean, they were they were flicking it to right center, and it was awesome, and then the ones they were cranking were just silly. Yeah, those guys, when you, when you look at them in a baseball uniform, you're like, whoa. Like, Mark McGuire was a cartoon character. He didn't make sense, and it's like steroids. But <laughs> like, like Sam, he's got. What are their heights? Because Sammy, to me, he would seem more like compact and look like he could actually be that size. McGuire is taller, I think. Yeah. And a guy that tall and that freaking big shouldn't be able to move that way. Like McGuire, six five. Sammy Sosa, six foot. Yeah, seeing Mark, seeing Mark, a guy that's, I mean, 6'5", you look at the guys who are 6'5 in the game right now, like, they can't put on weight like that and move like that. Like, even Aaron Judge. He's a gazelle. Think, what? Yeah, he's he. Yeah, he's kind of a freak. That might be a bad example. But I want to know what his weight is compared to Mark McGuire in 98. Well, there's something crazy there because, I mean, when you see Judge connect into one, it's kind of this long, majestic swing. Big Mac doesn't have that. He's got, like, a tight, compact... Yes. Swing just in this like offensive lineman body, and it's uh, I mean the Big Mac swing out of that body was one of my favorite parts of the documentary. He looks like which a is big kind boy of... hitting, right? Like he looks like <laughs> yeah, like Judge looks smooth with it and it looks athletic. Like McGuire looks like you you they show the pitcher's vantage point, and I'm thinking like where is this guy supposed to go? He leans over the plate, he covers the entire thing. Where are you supposed to pitch this? McGuire guy? looks like a cartoon character or like the fat kid in middle school that you know is gonna lose his ability once like <laughs> yeah. kids yeah. grow, but he didn't. All right, anyway, I have something else to tell you, but I'll say it off air because this is more wow. more mean about Mac. Okay. Oh, want me to whisper mean. it? 
No. Don't want to. The documentary is no. good. Don't want to be mean. I lost. I don't. I, Mac, Mac, Mark McGuire doesn't do much for me. Is what I found out. Sammy Sosa does a whole lot. And I don't think he wants. To. I liked both. Yeah, of them. it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's talk about this proposal real quick. Player proposal. Uh, the union responded with a 89 game proposal at full prorated. So we've now gone from 114 to 50 to 89. Neither team's really budging. Oh, this this did make a monetary difference. Is this the like the owners? This keep- was the first offer in good faith. IMO. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I mean, because all of the owners' offers have been the same monetary breakdown. This offer does drop the amount of money the owners would spend compared to the one fourteen offer. It's like was a couple hundred million less. Something. So I'll wait. You want me to weigh in on it? Yeah, always. You got any <laughs> okay, tidbits? Is that what we're doing on the pod. <laughs> You got any tidbits? You want me to play them? I do have some tidbits. Okay, what are they? Oh, I thought you were going to play the music. I can't hear it. All right, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I don't care the if mu- you play the music or not. I Because I can't hear it anyway. hate that mentality. The music has been was messed up the last time I played it. Jake and I could hear it in our headphones, but it wasn't going to the soundboard. Okay, I'm doing this. Nice. But I will get the music because the music's awesome. It's the best ever, but three, two, one. If this doesn't work, then we'll just do the music in post. Didn't work. Wait, hold on. Music's going to go right here. It's time for Trevor's Tidbits. It's time for Trevor's Tidbits. He's not going to show you his bits. He's probably... All right, Trev, lay him on us. I was privy to um, a response to the mm. proposal. Oh yeah, on the owner side. Yep. It wasn't great. Say it. And I think everyone kind of knows that's the direction mm. of the owner's lean. But how on earth is that a concession? was the response and less money and it was 48 games here we come well it was definitely a concession maybe not a lot but it was a concession so i don't know i mean look obviously we're playing hardball we've been playing hardball we've been playing no ball whatever you want to call it i feel like we should have probably stepped in and and spearheaded these negotiations we could have been the liaison we probably would have got a deal done by now, but since we're not there, you know, we just have to let these guys work it out themselves. And to me, that doesn't bring much optimism. I know a lot of people are saying we're getting closer, we're getting closer. I don't know if we are. We're definitely not. We're so, still I don't I don't think we're getting closer to anything. We're getting if, closer to forty eight yeah, games. If forty eight games happens, I'm telling you, man. I can't get excited about that. I know that I'm going to watch. But don't tell me that 48 games is a season. I'm not going to have it. 
I'm not going to have 48 games. And I know that Wait, means Trev, I have were you on the same page? Were you on the same page of us cuz I remember having a conversation like 3 months ago where Jake and I were saying if it's a 6 week 48 game less than se- we Jake said if it's less than 70, we don't even want it to be it's going to be hard to consider a World Series. If it's more than 70, shake your hands. I thought you were giving us shit. Were, am well, I wrong? I don't remember my take. Okay. But, you know, this is really I mean, a lot of opinions have been changed over the last two months in the way all this shit has been handled so i don't remember what my take is then i think my i think what i said was if a legitimate team like kind of like one of the favorites wins it people won't say anything about it if some random team gets in there because they had a hot month and they cause havoc in the playoffs which we know in baseball especially is a huge possibility the team that gets hot at the right time is going to win the world series we know that look at the look at the Twins year. year. So, my thinking now is 48 games is a joke. Okay? Will I still consider it a World Series champion? I probably still... Well, I guess I can't say yes. If I'm saying that if a certain team wins the World Series, that I can consider it a legitimate, and if another team wins it, I can't consider it legitimate, then that means no, I don't consider it legitimate. Wow. I did, that's deductive reasoning. That's a big word or term that I'm not sure I used correctly, but I think I did. So I don't the know, players man. countered. The players countered quickly. Uh, Lil Poppy was pretty close to the play-by-play of what actually happened. Uh, this next one is going to tell me the story, and I I feel like maybe maybe that's been said before. Maybe it hasn't. But like I said, this felt like the first offer in. Good faith. Um, we were never going to get the 114 games. The MLB owners have essentially given the same offer three different ways. Whatever the MLB comes back with and in what sort of timely fashion, because the players answered in less than 48 hours. I have a tidbit for you on that end, then, if you want to know. It's time hey, for Trevor's tidbits. We need an okay. abridged version. Okay. You know, we're, this, unfortunately, this episode is not going to come out for a couple days. Perfect. So we're let's just say it. We're recording this on Wednesday, and I know that they are on a call today. Ooh, cool. Ooh. So if it goes to a forty-eight game, oh, so yeah, I thought that was a tidbit. No, that's it. So I mean, like they're hastily, at least, meeting, talking. Not not sure if that means uh, they're going to get an offer. They're going to offer. Uh, you know, we broke it down. Jake read a tweet that now I'm giving Jake credit for, but he read a tweet saying the first offer was a twenty dollar bill, the second offer was yeah, two tens, the third was a, a ten and two fives. This offer is going to be all fives. All right, know. let's let's do this because it is Wednesday. So if we do hit it, it'll be fun. I want to hear your guys' proposal prediction. I think that the MLB just comes out with another thirty three percent offer. They might even word it the same. They might say, okay. no, this is our offer. Like, that's their proposal be actually no. That's Our counter is no. No, this and is still our previous offer. proposal. Yeah. Okay. Jakey boy. Mm, MLB's next proposal will be, they're going to pussyfoot it and go. Bag of bugs. 61 games prorated. If they do that, I think the I think we do that. 
I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're. I, I think they'll even play like the sixty-one games as an important baseball number. We know we'll lose money on it, but sixty-one means something to people. Because that would the owners, if they don't show good faith here, I think like they're done. Like, like the the perception has been kind of bad for them the whole time. If they don't come back with something improved from their three of the same offers, you think people might TP stadiums? They're done. They're just done. Yeah, I I think Is getting the, the sixty to sixty five games at this point, if we're talking full pro rata, pro rata. Latin, look it up. Um, Emrata, follow her on Instagram. If they get to sixty to sixty-five, <laughs> I think it's a win for MLB. Or excuse me, for the players. Yeah, I think they'll just accept that. But my prediction on this, I think this might. I I, I think it might be a cold opening. We're gonna go ahead and do the forty-eight. Full prorated. I think it's that's looking next, that way. It's, I think so that's you agree with step. me. That's what I said. The, the well, only thing no, I, I the, don't think they'll go back to their last proposal. I think they'll just say, okay, clearly. Oh, this well, is that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah. I think MLB will say, oh, you guys don't get it. We're not doing this anymore. It's 48 games. You've, what's, a thir- what's a third of the season? 162 divided by three is 40. Nobody can do that. Not math. 40. What am I talking about? No. Uh, 54. 54. That's my prediction. Fifty-four games full prorated. Cool. That's the counter. My here. Here are my final questions for you. Is is this going to end with like a lawsuit because of the whole good faith thing and forty-eight games and everything like that? Because that seems to be what's going to happen. But I'm not familiar enough with everything. Um, if and I forget my if, second question. So. Thank you. I, I I think there'll probably be language. I yield my time. <laughs> I think there'll be language in the proposal that will stop players and the PA from suing them in general for health risks, for breach of or whatever. I don't know what the legal term for that is. Um, so I think that's kind of where we're headed. If they yeah. do propose the 54 games full prorated, I don't know if that if they'll get the expanded playoffs. Hey, I'm that cannot there's one good thing. Decided. There's one mm. good thing about a 48 game season is that the World Series winner can drop the Cal Naughton quote on the podium and just say, "I know it's a technicality, but I tell you what, you try to take this away from me, I'll sock you right in the face, and that'd be that'd be a uh, be in my heart forever. Ryan Dozier, second ring. Yeah, <laughs> friend of the pod. Yeah, Miss Daddy Doge. All right, I think we're good here. We're good. The air conditioning is off, and the the studio has gotten hot, so we're out. Trev, final last words. Go watch the. Don't doc, have any. Man. Go watch the doc. Go watch the dog. Have a beer, watch the dog. Tell us what you think. Suck my dog. Yes.